All right, Trinity Church, good to see you today on this second uh, Sunday of November. Uh, we're really glad you're here. I want to especially thank Pastor Jim Willard and everyone involved in making the Mission Celebration Weekend so great last weekend. We were out of town, but I was able to watch the service and interact with people about how great. So not only what was going on in here, but out on the plaza, all the different short-term opportunities were grateful. And, and the goal of that weekend was accomplished, that we would understand that God so loved the world not just uh, Redlands in Southern California. And so we're grateful for that. You're here today, uh, especially if you're a guest, I want to welcome you. But for all of us, we're here on a brand new series. It's just going to be a short one in this, uh, the rest of this month of November, and then we'll dial in in the month of December into a Christmas series. But for today, a new series called Taking Inventory. You got a media piece on your way in today that was called Trinity This Week. Inside, you have this beautiful canary yellow um, uh, insert that has our uh, message um, notes for today. So if you have that out and have that handy. Also, if you're in a home group, this will have different prompts and questions for your guys' discussion this week. So you'll want to use that when you guys meet together. So have that kind of available. I want to tell you about a couple things. The first off, uh, Allison was mentioning, it's also inserts in your uh, Trinity this week about uh, Advent conspiracy beginning. I want to just give you a heads up Uh, primarily even as we're starting out Advent Conspiracy Focus this week, but also I want to give you a heads up parents in the room. If you're a parent who has kids at home still, next week, and so I'm just kind of baiting the hook this week, but next week I'm actually going to give you uh, a new kind of dynamic, a new option that we've developed for this year in Advent Conspiracy to help you as a parenting tool with your kids. And so we'll tell you more about that, but just wanted you to be aware of that so when you come next week, you'll be ready for that. And uh, it's just an option, obviously, just another tool in your toolbox, but to how to help your kids with this basic idea that we're kind of using this concept throughout this year. It's really what Advent Conspiracy has always been about, exchanging our wants for their needs. And so we'll give you more info on that next week when you come. Also, if you noticed in your Trinity this week, you saw an insert here called Ways to Give. Let me tell you real quickly about that. We've made it a, uh, just a kind of a, an idea that we would do every about six months or so to drop this the same insert. If you were here six months ago, it's the same one you see today. But we do it for this reason. Number one, if you've come uh, to join us in the last six months, you might not know of different ways that you can give to Trinity Church. The reason we insert this is not because things aren't going well financially. It's not that the church isn't doing well, please give. It's none of that at all, actually. God's blessing in so many ways and we're grateful for your obedient, joyful gifts. This is, though, to make, make you aware of some different options of how to give. And some of us who are, that might be new, that these are ways I could give that I didn't even know about. And that's our whole purpose in doing that. So just want to keep that before you. And remember this great benefit, this great joy that we have of getting to give to the things that God is doing here locally and around the world. That's a privilege. And, and what does God say so much, this, this real heartbeat that he's after related to our giving, that we do it cheerfully, that we do it with a joyful heart. So that's our attitude and just wanted to make you aware of some means that you might not be aware of otherwise. If you have a Bible today, if you would open it to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, the first of four Gospels. And that's where we're going to be today. That's actually where we're going to be for this month of November. We're just going to take a look. We're going to break this chapter into three parts and just take a look each week into things. And, and here's what basically even the tagline of this series, this is what we'll be looking into throughout the month, is reevaluating what we value. It's so easy to just kind of keep going status quo. 
this is the way I think, this is the way I act, I'm just going to not question it and keep going. Well, as we get to know Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus asks us to question everything. In a great way, he continues to bring a mirror up in front of our face to ask the question, how is your heart in this area? And so we're going to see three different concepts, three topics throughout the month of November. Here's an idea of kind of where we're going. This isn't a series primarily about money, but it will affect the way that you value your financial resources. This series isn't primarily about worrying about not having enough, but it will affect the way that you value what you want versus what you need. It's not primarily a series about engaging holy habits. I'll define that term in just a second for you. But it will affect the way that you value who you're doing them for. It's a series that we're looking at that Jesus, we're actually going right to the heart of what we've called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It begins in Matthew 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Jesus pulling away and sharing these thoughts. Things that were going to alter the way of perception of Jesus' followers of how to see the world. And we're taking some ideas from chapter 6 to focus on. It's a series that will cause you to reevaluate what you value if you receive these words from the Jesus who came to save your soul. The same Jesus we've just celebrated and been grateful for, for what he's done for us at the cross. But here's what I want you to catch today. He didn't just come to save your soul. He came to save your life from living a life of valuing the wrong things. And that's the teachings of Jesus that we're going to get to unpack today and begin to look at. To save you from valuing how you look in front of others. To save you from valuing the wrong kinds of treasures. To save you from valuing comfort over dependence. These are the topics that we'll be looking at this month. So in your notes and on the screen, here's our now what idea. This is something that we walk out of here with going, this is what I'm to do with today. You engage in holy habits that are noticed by God, not to be noticed by others. You engage in holy habits to be noticed by God, not to be noticed by others. Number one in your notes today, if you give to those in need to be noticed, that's all the benefit you'll receive. If you give to those in need to be noticed, that's all the benefit that you'll receive. What we're looking at specifically in this portion of our series today is the idea of of spiritual disciplines, of holy habits, of focused rhythms. These are all kinds of phrases that kind of identify the same thing. Let me do this. Let me, in your notes, let me define what I'm talking about. A holy habit, intentional practices that draw you closer to Jesus so that you might live more like Jesus. Intentional practices that draw you closer to Jesus so that you might live more like Jesus. Here was my problem. Growing up in a church environment, hearing the idea of spiritual disciplines like Bible intake and prayer, uh, the ones we'll look at today of giving to the poor and fasting, those types of things. I'd heard about those, and, and what kind of, even though no one ever said this to me, what I began to confuse was the end game. I began to confuse the purpose. I began to think that practicing, engaging in holy habits was for the goal of things like self control. And self control is a great trait, but the end game of practicing holy habits is to be like Jesus because these habits draw me closer to him so that I won't just know more of him so that I'll live 
more like him. So the life of Christ is the purpose of why I engage these and live these out. Now, we've just finished a series in September and October called Rooted and Reaching. And and this idea of spiritual disciplines or holy habits, this is one of the most important, compelling parts of living a rooted in Jesus life. One half of that dynamic this really addresses today of being rooted in Jesus means I'm living out and practicing these habits so that I might more imitate, live out the life of Christ. And by the way, what we're talking about today doesn't happen on Sundays. For some of us, this is the bulk or maybe the exclusive amount of spiritual input, biblical input that you get. And it's so great to come here with the people of God, celebrating Jesus, hearing his word. We t- Bill and I talk about the, the goal of a Sunday morning is that you would be preoccupied with Jesus. That is a great win. But if that's only happening one hour, one day a week, then we would say that that rooted in Jesus, that growing relationship with him is being stymied. Because there's six other days that have opportunities for you to draw closer to Jesus. Holy habits is one of those, and that's what we're looking at today is at least three examples of that. Let's begin, and you're going to see in Matthew 6, 1, kind of the overarching idea of even our whole passage today, even though we'll see three examples, here's the heart of it. In your Bibles on the screen, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me read that again. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is the big idea. We're going to look three specific examples of this, but here's the big idea of what we're looking at. Now, we know this. The Sermon on the Mount, as we've come to call it, begins in Matthew 5. And at the beginning of Matthew 5, here's the interesting thing. Crowds are gathering around Jesus and his followers. But here's what Jesus does. He pulls his disciples away from the crowds. And it's to this group of people, people who had already committed Jesus, I'm following where you're leading. It's to that group, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is addressed. Not the crowds, but those who are close to him. In this, I want to look at Matthew 6, 1 real quick. I want to break it down because if we get this first part right, the rest will make a lot of sense. Here's a few of these Greek words to see. First off, the phrase, be careful. This Greek word means that to heed lest one do a thing, otherwise saying beware. So this is a critical word. It means be very, very careful of what? Well, what's next? To practice. The Greek word means to perform or to accomplish. So to put into practice, it doesn't necessarily mean in and of itself that it's a performance, that it means that I'm just showboating. But what it's saying is, be very careful when you do this thing. Well, what is this thing? When you do your righteousness, the next phrase. Now, the word righteousness is what I call a Bible land word. And what I mean by that, it's words that we use around church And kind of nod our heads and, oh, yeah, I've heard that word before. And you have. It's in your Bibles. It's in songs we sing. But it's often one of those words we don't know what it means. Words like glory, words like holy, words like atonement. We just kind of say them when we all nod. And if we're honest, we're going, I really don't know what that means. But I'm going to keep acting like it. Okay? Well, let's, let's act like we actually want to know what it means. And this is what it says. Righteousness literally means doing that which is approved in God's eyes. That's kind of cool. You just boil it down. Doing that which God approves of, okay? But the key word is eyes. 
Because you're going to see in just a second how important this is. Righteousness, doing that which is approved in God's eyes. Now look, in front of others to be seen by them. This is where everything turns. Because this Greek phrase means before the face of others in order to be seen as though on a stage. We get our English word theater from this word. So this is kind of what's going on. Let me give you a Todd paraphrase of Matthew 6.1. Take careful action to not perform as though on a stage for other people to notice the things that would be considered for God's eyes. Be careful not to make a performance out of what God has called you to do between you and him. That's the essence of where we're going today, and that really helps kind of boil it down. Don't value being known as religious or spiritual by others Value if God considers you doing what's approving to him or not. And what happens today? We'll find out. What happens today if you don't heed this warning? What if you choose to perform in front of people what was only designed for God to see? Watch this. You don't hear Jesus condemn that. You don't hear Jesus just kind of go off and make this judgmental phrase. Here's all he says. You will get exactly what you're aiming at. If you want to be noticed by others, you will. And that's where it ends. Watch this. You won't be noticed by the most important audience by which you are to live in front of God. You perform spiritually for others. They're impressed. But God is not. That's the axiom that we see today, and we'll see it get played out. Now, what Jesus is saying at the beginning of Matthew 6 is that these actions are fundamentally, the the ones that are fundamentally meant to gain God's approving eye, they lose any sense of value if they're instead meant to gain the attention of of one's peers instead of one's heavenly father. Let's say it plays out like this. I have three girls at home. Kendalyn is my middle daughter, my 15-year-old sophomore. Let's assume that Kendi has some friends over to our home. It's a Friday night. They're going to spend the night, and they're in the living room, and I'm in the kitchen, which is just adjacent. And, and you know, if they're talking about things, I would never listen in. <clears throat> but let's say on the off chance, I do. And, uh, and they're talking, and Kendi's friends are talking about how much they love their dad, and how much they do for him, and how much they love to just go out of their way to serve him this whole thing. And, and so Kendi's hearing that, and let's say we, we all go to bed Saturday night, or Friday night, Saturday morning we wake up, and I'm wondering where Kendi's at, and I go out and I realize my car has come out of the garage, and she's out on a Saturday morning, 8 a.m., washing my car. And I go out and I go, Kendalyn, what's going on? She's like, Dad, don't mess this up. And she's like continuing to wash, and she's, <laughs> friends are noticing, you know, the whole thing. And because, watch this, because I heard the previous conversation I know she's not washing the car for me. She's washing the car for them, right? And so there's this mutually exclusive problem when we do things that should be rightly vertical to God, but we want people horizontally to notice. They can't both happen. Here's here's the way this happened negatively in my home this weekend. My wife, um, her mom and sister are here visiting today, and they were out uh, doing this kind of Veterans Day shopping thing, which is awesome. It's an annual event. I gear up for it. It goes well. We save to prepare. So um, within that, they went and got a hotel and hung out, and it was great. And what I did, so she was gone for about two full days, and what would happen, we have a dog. His name is Mosley, and Mosley and I have a dislike-dislike relationship. (laughs) 
It's very mutual. Okay, we both get it. We're men. We, we understand each other. And I don't know why we have a dog, to be honest with you. So, <clears throat> but my wife loves the dog, and that's great. So numerous times, and you can ask my daughters, all three of my girls, numerous times they caught Mosley up in my lap, or I took him for a drive, or all these things. But this is what I clearly said. Pay very good attention and communicate to your mom what I'm doing right now. Because she loves it when I feign to love her dog, okay? And I wanted my girls to communicate back to their mom that I'm doing this. Why? Not because I care about the dog. I care about what my wife thinks. I like my wife thinking I like the dog, okay? So this is the exact opposite point of what we're trying to do today. If I genuinely love the dog, that'd be one thing. I don't, but I want my wife to notice, Okay? So let's dive into the first of these examples. We're going to look at three things, three holy habits that Jesus is saying are confusing. Before we do, though, watch this. Some of us are in this, and we're looking at this today. One of the phrases that you read, you're a little bit troubled by. You're troubled by the concept of God rewarding us for doing certain things. Jesus made it, well, Jesus at least said it this way. If you do these things for other people's attention, you won't be rewarded by your heavenly father. So Inversely, and what you'll see very clearly with a resounding yes, this passage speaks strongly to the fact that God does reward us for living in ways consistent with his design. Now, for some of us, that's a bit troubling. There, there's this whole notion of God rewarding us by doing what he would approve of. It, it seems to maybe muddy our motivation. Now, all of a sudden, I'm not doing it because I love God. I do it because of what I can get from him. That brings that into question. There's, there's issues of, well, if I know my life is not identical to the person next to me, what if they get more reward than I do? It kind of conjures up a lot of questions that unsettle us. But I want to go to C.S. Lewis, our friend today, for help because he clarifies this like nobody else. And by the way, this is only one example of numerous ones I could have used to demonstrate how he understands this point and helps us understand it. This is what he writes. It's on the screen. We are afraid that heaven is a bribe. And then if we make it, make heaven our goal, we shall no longer be disinterested. Now, I, I defined a couple of these terms because we don't use them all the time. Disinterested, not being influenced by considerations of personal advantage. So meaning to be disinterested means you're like um, neutral, right? And so I'm not, I'm not interested in heaven for what I can get from heaven. It is not so, he says, heaven offers nothing that a mercenary, and here's that definition, a mercenary, someone interested only in the amount of personal benefit that one can get from a situation. So here's what he's saying. Heaven offers nothing that a mercenary soul can desire. This is the key line. It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God for only the pure in heart want to. What a great line. This clarifies motivation. I want to be with God because I love him. If you want to be in heaven for any other reason, you've missed the point. There are rewards that do not sully motives. A man's love for a woman is not mercenary because he wants to marry her. Nor is his love for poetry mercenary because he wants to read it. Nor his love of exercise less disinterested because he wants to run and leap and walk. Watch. Love, by its very nature, seeks to enjoy its object. So as we talk about reward today, Jesus is going to be so clear that such a thing exists 
Don't do the mental gymnastics that keep you away from this pure reality because we love God. Remember, all these holy habits, what are they for? To be approving to God because I love him, I want to enjoy him. And that's the essence. So let's dive in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's what we said earlier. Jesus says, you get it. It's all you get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. First word out of the gates. Jesus does not say if you give to those in need. He says when. That's a powerful thing to stop and ask that question today. This is the essence of what he's saying. Do you make it a practice to give wisely to those in need? Wisely is probably the operative word, but let me play it out this way. This is the way some of us do. Some of us understand that as God brings people across our path, you see that through a sovereign lens and you say, if people are in need and they come across my way and I can meet a need, I do. Praise God. Other people go, uh, I don't know if that's always the best way to meet a need, but guess what I do? I do this. I say, in my every, I'm a much more of a planner, more of a budgeter. So in my budget, I budget monthly for this kind of fund I'm developing and saving. So when people in my relational world, people I'm connected to have a need, I'm already ready to meet it. Or maybe this, you know, I don't know about either of those. They're fine, but for me, I just give to Trinity Church's Helps Fund. If you take that that uh, ways to give and turn it over, you'll notice there's really just three basic funds that Trinity Church has. Ministry fund is basically all of our operating costs and our support for our global missionaries. Building fund kind of makes sense. It's going to our campus. But our helps fund, we have a designated helps fund. Some of you don't even know this. And I'm actually great with that because there's plenty of you who do and plenty of you who give consistently that we have funds that our pastors and ministry staff can use to help meet the needs of those in our congregation as well as those in our community. And we do so with joy. Here's my point. And if there's a fourth category, that's great. But my point is, it's not a question of if you give to those in need, it's simply when. That's something that's good to look in the mirror today and ask that question, is that true of the way that you're operating? Beyond that, next we understand Jesus is speaking against the aggrandizing, hey, everyone look over here, I'm doing something good. That's what Jesus is talking against. And it was happening during that time, and Jesus needed to point it out to those who would give to be noticed. And that was all that was happening. People were noticing. That was all that was accomplished. But if one was seeking to be obedient to a God who had said that giving to the needs of the poor was expected, it is something built into the fiber of what we do. Among many passages I could show you, Deuteronomy 15, 11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So this is the, the people of Israel. They're not even in the land yet. They're on the other side, the east side of the Jordan. Moses is preparing them to go in, and he says, it's going to be a given. There's always going to be need, so be open-handed in the land, not someone who's clenched fist. Okay? So this is just a, a, a reality of what God's design would be. Now, I don't know that there's a lot of literal trumpeting that goes around today when people give to those in need, but here was one example that came to mind. Let's say that, at least right now, at this stage of your life, 
giving to those in need, this isn't important, it's not something you do, fill in the blank, whatever the reason, you just don't do it. And yet you and a friend are out, and as you're walking around, you're going to, uh, to out to lunch, let's say, and someone comes across your path with a need and requests to you, would, would one of you, would both of you, someone meet this need? Now, you don't normally do this, but now you're interested in what the person next to you thinks about you. So you reach out your wallet and you hand them a five and you say, hey, God bless, and they go their way. Now, within that, because you know your heart, you are very disinterested in the individual that way, but very interested in the individual this way. And because giving to the person in need is really not so much about this, but about this. It's about our vertical relationship with God and living out that obedience. You've ignored this to do this. And by the way, this often happens when we're dating, right? Walking around, taking this young lady out for uh, something, and all of a sudden, someone comes across, and I want her to understand that I'm compassionate. I don't ever give to anyone any other time, but when she's with me, all of a sudden I do, and guess what? She noticed, and that's where it ended. That's the point of this passage. Not to say people won't notice, but they will, and that's all that will happen, instead of being obedient and giving to God. Number two in your notes, if you pray in order to be noticed, people's attention is all you'll receive. If you pray in order to be noticed, people's attention is all you'll receive. Now, the first one might have been a little more challenging. How is giving to someone giving to God? But yet, remember, right, Jesus, Matthew 25, when you've done it for the least of these, what? You've done it for me. But even if that's hazy, this one's totally clear. Prayer is simply talking to God. And what this passage is going to tell us is that when I pray, I can actually be more interested in the people hearing than actually the God I'm talking to. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They got what they wanted. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Similar to the hypocrites who were giving with trumpets and wanting to be noticed, there were also those who were praying in such a way as to be noticed. They wanted other people to think how spiritual that they were. And like Jesus said, they got what they wanted. They got that kind of recognition. And by the way, the idea, remember Jesus multiple times in this passage is going to call those people hypocrites. Here's what's happening is that even though people might be temporarily impressed, these same people spend time with us when we're living that way, they're not impressed long because they know the veneer comes down and they see what's real. And that's always the essence behind a hypocrite is that it's a show. It's like we said earlier, don't perform for others to impress them. Live in such a way that God sees your righteousness, what he alone should be seeing. And the question is, does this happen today? Do we pray in such a way as to be noticed by others rather than by God? Absolutely. Here's one way. Maybe when you pray in a group of people, the way you pray is in a completely different type of flowery language that you don't use otherwise. Right? It'd be like sitting down with me and we're in a group prayer and I pray, Dear Lord, thank you for what thou givest from whence if thou cometh. (laughs) And you're like, when did he get transported to Elizabethan England? Like, what's that all about? Or maybe this, maybe it's like prayer is just such a, this kind of like, almost like alter ego, like this 
two different persons going on. I could be sitting over lunch with you today, and as we're talking before maybe the meal comes, and as we're sharing, and I'm telling you how great it is that UCLA football and basketball won on the same weekend. That never happens, right? So this is awesome. And I'm having this conversation about my team, and then all of a sudden, hey, Todd, would you pray for the meal? Dear Lord, thank you for this bountiful blessing. And people are just looking around going, what is that? Well, I'm getting what I want. I'm getting noticed. Or maybe it's like this. Maybe someone rarely, if ever, prays privately, but in a group setting tends to always pray. Now, that's not me pointing fingers. That's me looking in the mirror. When I was in my youth group with our students even that are sitting down front today, when I was in our youth group, we would often on Sunday nights, probably at least once a month, have this after event And we get together and we would often make prayer a part of that time. It was awesome. 15, 20 of us in a circle, really intimate, great time in prayer. That was the only time I prayed for like the month. That's a problem. And it should have borne out, Todd, there's a problem that you're only interested in praying when other people are listening. That's the essence of what this passage is about is that prayer is primarily to talk to God. Now, I want you to hear this. This passage is not condemning corporate prayer. There's no bad thing about praying as a group. No problem at all. It's just, how do I pray when I'm in a group? And more importantly, how do I pray when I'm alone? That's what we're talking to. It's a great thing to pray corporately. It's one of my favorite things, because here's what you're doing. As you're talking to the creator of the universe, I get to listen in. And I get to hear your heartbeat about what you're concerned about. That's a really cool thing. So there's no disparaging corporate prayer. It's just I know in my heart who I'm talking to when I'm praying in a group. Jesus instructs his disciples instead to go to a private place where they understand they cannot miss the fact of their audience of one. He's the only one there. And when God alone is who you're focused on, you're sure not to miss what we talked about today, the definition of a holy habit, drawing closer to God so that you might live more like the life his son, Jesus, modeled for you. Now, there's a play on words in this passage. It said, when your father who is unseen sees what you're doing. God who is unseen, but he still sees what you're doing. It brings up the adage that we should say very often at Trinity Church, the real you is who you are when no one's looking. That is the essence. That's the great look in the mirror kind of question. That's what Jesus is saying here. And remember the point of prayer is that you, a child of God, asking your father for the things that you need. It's, it's, it's expected. It's something Jesus and, and the all throughout scripture, God has given you this permission to do. Come before me with what you need. Recognize the fact that you're dependent upon me. Now, for some of us, that's a rub. That's probably the biggest problem with prayer for you is you don't like the consistent reminder that you can't make life work on your own. So rather than do that, just kind of put your head down and keep going after it. And if that's you today, if that's your biggest problem with prayer is the constant reminder that you are dependent upon the creator of the universe. Maybe some of these words will help today. John Piper, he writes this. A prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying alone to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know Clark Kent is on board. (laughs) Not great. I just love that quote. Because I know how many times I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing. God, I got this bus. I got to get out of the hole And all of a sudden, Clark's sitting on the bus, if I would just ask him for help. 
Number three in your notes today. Oh, by the way, and you'll notice we're skipping the Lord's Prayer. That's the very next pastor. Like, Todd, what are you doing? That's like a message series all by itself, okay? So we kind of got to step aside from that today, but that's the ensuing words. But it brings us to our third point. Number three, if you fast in order to be noticed, you'll miss the point of fasting. If you fast in order to be noticed, you'll miss the point of fasting. This is the final one of these spiritual disciplines or holy habits that we're looking at today. This one really seems to be reserved in our Christian culture today as the truly spiritual, right? Like, okay, yeah, we all ought to pray. I feel bad. I should probably give to those in need. But this one, it's like, eh, I'm not going there. I just don't, I don't fast. But watch this passage, Matthew 6, verse 16. When, not if. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show they're fasting. Oh, this is so painful. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They're getting noticed, and that's it. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Don't look like you're so uh, uh, in pain, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret, there it is again, will reward you. Now, the gospel writers inform us that Jesus himself fasted, at least the one time that we're aware of. I would be, think that it was multiple times, but the one we're aware of is after he comes out of the waters of baptism and he's led into the desert for 40 days, it says that Jesus fasted during that time. So Jesus modeled for us, maybe not to fast for 40 days, but he fasted or he modeled for us this behavior. So he's not talking about something we should do that he didn't do. Let's give you a definition. It's in your notes on the screen. Fasting is for the purpose of denying yourself something in order to focus your craving for Jesus instead of that normal part of your life. The purpose of denying yourself in order to focus your craving. Now, often when we think of fasting, we think of food. So it's denying food. But I would just say, and and food makes a lot of sense because it's so basic. It's so real and true to all of us. But fasting need not be just in that category. Like you'll hear people say, I'm fasting from social media for this week. And we might laugh at that, but I'd go, "Mm, that's, that's a great idea. Because, because nowhere in scripture, though it often will talk about fasting, doesn't necessarily always link it to food. It's this idea, I'm setting aside one thing that for many of us has become a norm. Not just a daily norm, but like an hourly norm. I'm setting aside this normal thing for a period of time to focus what I would want to give attention to there to give my attention to Jesus. So you can fill in the blank with the thing, but the reality is I'm setting a normal part of my life aside in order during that space when I would normally be doing that, I have my mind and heart set on Christ. That's the definition of fasting. So the question it brings to bear again, is that a when or an if for you? And if it's more like, I would never do that. This is a great thing to consider today. These are the words of Jesus, this isn't me. And he just says very matter-of-factly, when you do this, as though it's a part of our rhythms, something to expect. Consistently through all the passages, the same goal and result comes up for God's eyes only. This is the point. Reward is found when you engage in holy habits for the sole sake of drawing near to Jesus in order to live more like Jesus. And if the reward is found primarily, think of that, I've shifted this time and activity away so I could focus on the person of Jesus. Man, what's, what's not the reward of that? 
Getting to focus my energies, my time, my heartbeat upon him is rewarding of itself. Or is it something that is this? It's this idea, like we looked at uh, in 1 Corinthians 3 a few weeks ago in our Rooted and Reaching series. That upon the foundation of Christ, if I will build with materials that will last, that will go through Jesus' evaluation of my life, there will be reward. I don't know which of these types of rewards Matthew 6 is talking about, but I do know that living a life that's going to be rewarded by God is absolutely worth it. And that's what this passage today is asking us to reevaluate, to reevaluate what we value, to re-incentivize that our incentives to engage in holy habits are found to be approved by God. That's our whole hope and gain. And that's something to value. You engage in holy habits that are noticed by God, not to be noticed by others. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today with a passage that just brings so much clarity. And that's what we love about the Bible. It's what we love about Jesus' teaching. Our values get all mixed up and they get all confused. But Jesus comes and with great clarity asks us to look in the mirror. Asks us to ask the question, for whom am I doing these things? And so often we would, almost going through the motions of some of our spiritual disciplines, assume that we're doing them for God. But so often we realize if we stop and look at it, God, I, I confess again, I'm doing this for other people to notice. God, break our hearts of that. Would we want to live for an audience of one? We would we want to live in such a way that our sole aim and focus is that you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in order to do that, we need to live a life that is Godward. So God, give us grace in that. Forgive us in our failures in this area of what we're looked at today. And we pray going forward, we would live vertically towards you primarily. Father, as we think um, even today of people that are here, God, if... I would just say for those of you that are here today that are in this place of going, you know what, all these things about living out the life of Christ and I've just, up until today, I've really not made that a priority. Spiritual disciplines are a long cry away because I just haven't even initially even put my faith in Jesus. And I want to tell you, if that's you and you're here today, I have great news for you. Great news. It's not about attending a class. It's not about going through hoops. It's about saying simply this, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the only savior available and I choose to want to live my life walking forward in his steps. You, you can pray that prayer. You can make that commitment. You can respond to that invitation of grace today, even right here where you are. And my prayer is that you would before you even leave this place. You might have heard these ABCs, heard this invitation week over week. For whatever reason, you weren't ready, but today you are. My encouragement is that you would, and in doing so, you would tell someone. Tell someone who you do life with that you would just say, today I put my faith in Jesus. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your graciousness over us, and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.